Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark. Two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. I need to concentrate. I'm shifting okay. into 2004 mode. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought you were shifting into like classic monster mode. Uh, but 2004, you know, I'm not going to say a great time for classic monsters, uh, but they did try making a comeback right quick in one movie. Like all of them just decided to get together and throw a hell of a bash. Yes, in yes, a very good, good monster bash. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I remember when Van Helsing was kind of mm -hmm. hitting the, you know, the uh, the trailers were hitting TV and all that. And I wasn't consuming a whole lot of, like, internet news and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff just yet. I think we've talked about that a couple times, how back then, you and I didn't have smartphones you know, we had our mm -hmm. dumb phones, we had our flip phones, yes. we had our bricks, our Nokia mm -hmm. bricks. And if you're lucky, you had a sweet-ass thin razor. Yeah, I had a razor back then. Was it? Okay. Yeah. I know right. I got one eventually. I didn't remember if I got it in 2004 or not. Yeah, I started off with mm -hmm. a Nokia brick and then yep. worked my way up. But yeah, it was a different time. You know, mm -hmm. this is a totally different time. And when Van Helsing shows up, I'm looking at this and going, I feel like this is something I would like. I used to actually mm -hmm. read the books of the library. I used to check them out all the time about the classic horror movies. The, oh, yeah. You know, the, yeah, the, the werewolf and mm -hmm. you know, Frankenstein's monster and the mummy, the creature of the Black Lagoon. Like, I read oh, all those books mm -hmm. as a kid. I did. Loved them. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was less of an interested reader as a kid because I definitely saw all of those movies as a kid, but yeah. definitely didn't, uh, didn't, didn't read them. So, yeah, it's kind of like the same vein. Like, I, I feel like, especially like, Growing up in like the the late eighties, early nineties, uh, there was still a bit more of appreciation for those films, and like they made it back in things like Monster Squad, where you had kids fighting all of these uh, universal monsters, and there was still a bit of an allure and fun to them that I don't know has kind of sort of faded over the years. It's really a strange phenomenon, isn't it? That the mm -hmm. The monsters that kind of influence the modern age, they they don't seem to get, I don't know if you want to call it credit or mm -hmm. whatever, but they just don't seem to stick at all. And, yeah. and that's what's really interesting about Mr. Stephen Summers, who mm -hmm. comes wandering along in the late 90s, early 2000s, yep. decides he's going to breathe some life into the long deceased, you know, old classic Horror mm -hmm. creature films. And to his credit, like, his first stab at this was probably the closest they've ever gotten to making a legitimate comeback. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. For those of you who aren't familiar with Mr. Stephen Summers, this is the man behind the the Mummy revival with, with Mr. Mm -hmm. Brendan Fraser, who is yes. currently in the midst of a renaissance. We're happy to have him back. We are very happy that Brendan Fraser is making a comeback. And <laughs> I'll always... Always remember his ye old Comedy Central bump when he says, Hey, I'm Brendan Fraser, and you're watching Comedy Central, and it's Fraser, not Fraser. If you say <laughs> Fraser, I know where you live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. What a time to be alive. I, I really do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of appreciation for this, this time for cinema, especially like these action movies, because. The Mummy obviously would get a, mm -hmm. a sequel, which kept Mr. Summers happy and employed. Yeah. I got two sequels eventually. Yeah. Well, yeah. technically. I mean, that. Yeah. <laughs> it has like six <laughs> of them. 
It's uh, true. There's mm-hmm. like six now, which I just boggles the mind because this little Scorpion King thing. But it's true. <laughs> yeah, th- this was a niche that mm-hmm. Stephen Summers was trying to build for himself, and so Van Helsing ends up being the third stop mm-hmm. on this attempted revival. And I mean, at this point in time, it made sense. People thought, mm-hmm. "Hey, the Mummy films are making money, and why wouldn't a similarly popular, you know, action star be able to do the same thing?" And absolutely, yeah. I mean, it yeah. makes sense to me. You get um, Hugh Jackman who at this point in time is like hot off the X-Men series, or at least at like what, 2004, you got X1 and 2 at least at this point in time. Yeah, and, early 2000s, yep. Yeah, and then like X2 was, you know, the best, like, I don't know, for like the best superhero movie that's come out in a while. So you've got him doing great. And also already established Fighting Monsters, which probably should start with first is Kate Beckinsale, because <laughs> she's been fighting vampires we're also a couple movies, eh, couple, maybe, maybe one, it, it maybe only got least, one Underworld at this time. Yeah, it was at least the one. I don't think yeah. the second. I don't think Underworld two was out yet. Yeah, but at least one really, really like solid vampire movie. Uh, I mean, you're looking at like modern vampire movie franchises, and like, you know, if they're not sparkling, they're either Blade or Underworld, and both of those at that point in time were fantastically solid movies so it seems like kind of off the bat it's it's the right time vampires seem to be making a comeback the mummy did really well let's see if we can bring them again and like you said let's get some solid star power going into this and you get hugh jackman you get kate beckinsale as your top billing actors and on paper this should be a banger I mean, that's kind of the way I was looking at it too. You know, when I was when I was looking at, like I said, I, I everything was on TV those days. I was looking, at, I was watching trailers on TV. Maybe occasionally I would look one up online. It had to be. I mean, you remember going back in time for a little bit here. This is back when you basically had to pay for website traffic and hosting mm-hmm. videos and things like that. It was like just about to be YouTube Central, but it was a different time. So for me, getting into this. You know, I see this movie poster, and I see the Jackman's got his name prominently featured on there. Kate Beckinsale has also got top billing. Like, literally, this is the first Mm -hmm. actual, like, movie poster where he has his name featured above the title of the movie. Like, this is is still early Jackman in a way. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, he was worldwide known and all that, and everybody loved the guy. But he was was still, still building the brand. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, this was uh, unfortunate for this film. Now, some people know Van Helsing. They probably know that it didn't do particularly well. Mm -hmm. And it was a a budget of $160 million. Mm -hmm. Technically, box office of 300.2. Which, not bad. I mean, mean, it's kind of like the same realm as, like, Superman Returns. It made more money than it cost to, like, make the movie. And it made a profit, but that profit was not exactly what they were hoping for. They were really hoping for a smash. And, yeah. like, I mean, the movie didn't double its money. And I guess that, yeah. that's probably at least the prerequisite to sequel land, is double your cash. Well, it's it's just the the principle of make back at least twice what it cost because mm-hmm. of marketing efforts. Yep. And at that point in time... There just wasn't a whole lot of ways to to reap or get that back. You know, video on demand wasn't a huge thing yet. People no. weren't really paying to rent or, you know, buy mm-hmm. a whole lot. So, and yes. Streaming services yes. weren't there. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is it is sad in a way because, again, the while we talk about how, well, we'll get into the movie more about its, its, its fun and its flaws, uh, it was a very ambitious plan by Summers because his goal was not to stop at the first movie. You may be thinking, well, probably just another movie is what they're what they're always hoping for. But he's actually trying to hope to get a series out of this, where it'd be something kind of along the lines of like Supernatural, and it's like a monster of the week uh, with a, with another big bad in the background, and you're trying to get them hunted down eventually. And uh, I think he took this to what was it? I think it was NBC Universal. And after they they saw the grosses of the first movie, they're just like, nah, nah, we're good here. 
it's it's basically they're the ones that were funding the movie itself, right? Mm -hmm. And so when he yeah. throws this idea of like, hey, let's keep this Transylvania setting, same time mm -hmm. period, let's throw some new characters into it and make it into something, and they're like, yeah, no, yeah, mm -mm. No. no, bro. Mm -mm. And no. I think really what this is a symptom of is the the timing. I think if you had mm -hmm. taken this movie and this concept of this TV show to follow it and you advance it 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, I think you're into something at that point. I, 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 I think, think there's a chance. Yeah, I think there's, there's part of it is definitely the timing. But even, like, looking back at it now, like, one thing that, that did not age well was the CGI for this movie. Oh, and Jesus. It didn't age well. And even, even for the time, I remember watching it being like, you know, I like what they're doing here, but that's a little too animated for me. <laughs> and I think it may even like kind of, I don't know, granted this is me like just assuming what kind of it went on is because like, like we said, like when you see the vampires in this, um, in, in the movie, it's kind of like, the, like really big gaping jaws and the, the fangs that kind of just keep growing as long as you're really watching them. And then as soon as they go yeah. to do something, they're, they're, they're normal. And I think that I think it's supposed to be some sort of attempt to throw back to just how much like you really had to act in some of those old Universal monster movies, how yeah. you went way over the top where theater and film weren't too far removed for, from each other. And nowadays, like you don't act for stage like you would for the camera uh, yeah. because you don't need to. You don't need the pantomime you don't need the bigger actions because your audience isn't there and several rows back and needs to see what you're doing the camera's right there and as as cinema has adapted to that over over the decades um you don't need it because it looks like it's too much so yeah. when you get these sort of like motions being animated like whether it's supposed to be some sort of like throwback to like oh that's how they did it back then it just doesn't really translate well even in 2004 which is kind of a shame because van helsing is conceived as this idea of advancing forward some of this vampire lore like you know the van helsings have appeared in other vampire properties before so mm -hmm. we're taking this idea of vampire hunter slash monster hunter and updating it a bit you know making it Make it a little more, a little sexier, you know. Yes. We're going to put that duster on our, our, our monster hunter, and <laughs> we'll leave little to the imagination as to what's under there, you know. Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. It's been a while. I mean, you you definitely did get that from your friends in Philly. There's no way you would have gotten from there. <laughs> well, but, but that's what I thought was interesting about this movie. Okay, so mm -hmm. before we even meet Van Helsing we are kind of dropped into what feels like this vacuum of classic horror, right? Mm -hmm. It's black and yeah. white. The, like you mentioned, the acting is so over the top, you know? I mean, yeah. it, it literally opens to, you know, Dr. Frankenstein doing mm -hmm. his bit, you know, it's alive, it's yeah. alive. And I know, you know I'll catch hate for this, but it's like David Tennant's first season on Doctor Who. Ooh. They are just way too big on the facial expressions and all the actions going on here and like you said it really because of that it not only like just kind of looks like it's a movie from early hollywood because it's black and white but it legitimately feels that way um for a while like i would say that that does fade at certain parts but i mean if that's what they were going for they did succeed in that is it really did feel like this old I don't want to say golden age, but definitely dawn of cinema. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. I, and I do think they succeeded in what they were trying to do with the opening of the film because it, it does pay homage and it keeps mm -hmm. on homaging for quite a while <laughs> and <laughs> never stop homaging. No, it does never stop homaging. Yeah. But right away, though, there is this uniquely different feel to it that the mummy didn't seem to suffer from. Mm-hmm. And and that's these these sets and these like you mentioned the CGI that doesn't look anywhere near what the mummy was able to pull off mm -mm. even just a few years before. Yeah, and so and, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's just part of again kind of 
what really kills the movie is when it, when it takes you out because you compare even the mummy's like worst CGI is probably when Imhotep is like still like you know yeah. barely skin and bones and it's a little funky and that like you can go back now and watch him be like yeah you can kind of tell that this was this is some early CGI but when you watch the mummy when it first came out it felt good <laughs> like it didn't it didn't come off chintzy or come off cheesy or over the top it was like no like this this is the pinnacle of of cinema at this point in time or at least maybe not the pinnacle of cinema but the pinnacle the pinnacle of what we're able to do with computer generated imaging and That's, yes. then you'd go to like the most beautiful parts where of course you've got sandotep like as a storm and that just sucked you into that movie it just yeah. worked so well because as far as CGI goes, it actually was brilliant in that it didn't have to be super detailed because it's sand, so it shouldn't look like there's a ton of definition to it. And it was scary for what it was. It worked for what it was. And I feel like that is one of the biggest things missing in this movie when it comes to that sort of CGI. It's, it, yes, yes. And, it, and it's right away, too. Like the The vibe that they're trying to set up in Van Helsing I think the vibe itself, like just the dark tones, the, mm -hmm. the lightning flashes, you know, the, the dramatic theater aspect yeah. of it. I think that works for what they were trying to do, paying homage to the past, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that to me made sense. Yep. But yes, the, the CGI removed any fear in me, you know, like there, did. there were parts of the mummy that, that do legitimately scare you when you're, mm -hmm. you know, when you're a young teenager, you know, there's, there's parts of that that are creepy. Yeah doesn't quite happen uh, no. with Van Helsing in the beginning mm -hmm. but but that's why it's it is such a different movie and I don't want to make mm -hmm. it be like mummy versus Van Helsing because no. mm -hmm. yes it's the same director writer all that good stuff but it's it is a uniquely yeah. different film and what it mm -hmm. basically tries to do is set up Van Helsing to be 1887's version of James Bond hunting monsters yes mm-hmm yeah. Because as soon as we get out of that, that black and white imagery, um, which I think the much better way they could have transitioned that, by the way, is when you actually have it revealed that Dracula shows up at Frankenstein's castle. If we would have transitioned into color to show that we're now changing that old mythos of the ye old Universal Monster movies, I think that would have been a better stylized choice. But yes, on to us actually meeting our title character of the movie. Because it turns out that Van Helsing is working for the Catholic Church. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. He's like the Spanish Inquisition, but not quite as funny or scary, you know, depending on which version you're going off of. I, so this is, this is part of what we'll call like a tug of war that I think a lot of people are going to mm -hmm. have to suffer through with Van Helsing. It's that there are certain things about this movie that will tug at you and pull you where it wants you to go. And you may or may not want to go where it's leading you. But then there are yeah. times like this where you're introduced to Van Helsing and he's he's hunting up and down Paris and you don't quite know why. Mm -hmm. And that that Van Helsing theme music is playing, you know, and he's he's got that 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 dark outfit, this ridiculously large hat that he's wearing. And he he looks like a legit eighteen hundred superhero doing mm -hmm. work. And, that, and once again, that music, dude, that music is amazing. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I, I, they, I mean, they could put a tune together for this movie. They needed it. They needed something to pick it up a little bit. Yeah, it was solid. Mm -hmm. and, and so I thought for, for an opener that kind of starts off that way with that questionable choice in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then it totally just nails this, which is what really sucks, doesn't it? It does. And because it, it nails the music, even the idea, again, of... One like the like we said like it's trying to really bring back and hammer home the, the these the classic monsters, because we've got Van Helsing in Paris hunting down Mr. Hyde, uh, which is just kind of a gun. So so far we've had Frankenstein and his monster. We've had uh, Dracula. We had Igor, who is claiming that he had all of the horses very oddly um, in the beginning of the movie, and then we get Hyde next. So at this point, it kind of feels like, hey, like this is, it's like they're getting the band back together. We've got, we've got all the big players back in town. We're going to see what we can do. And you've got like some historical accuracy going on in this movie because Oof. if you're all paying attention, 
before he goes to get Mr. Hyde, you do see the Eiffel Tower under construction. But yeah. <laughs> very shortly later, in what is possibly the greatest construction speed in the world by a bunch of burly Frenchmen, the Eiffel Tower is completed before Van Helsing leaves Paris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, for those of you that, that don't know the history behind it, the Eiffel mm -hmm. Tower was technically built in, like, January of 1887. Mm -hmm. So for, for it to be under construction, it's like, yeah, okay. That could make mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, that's there. But don't show it fully built two scenes later. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, wow, they really got moving on that. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, they were like, mm -hmm. oh, man, this uh, foreman's going to be up my ass if we don't get another 300 feet on this thing. Let's <laughs> let's knock it out, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you suppose is this tower, is it getting built or no? We, <laughs> we build the tower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the, I'm the tired. <laughs> Yes. I mean that's it, it, also where the internet was at this time too. So Totally. Yeah, we're not just mm -hmm. sounding like idiots for the sake of sounding like idiots. <laughs> this is the culture we came from. Yes. But this this whole hide mm -hmm. chase though is is actually a pretty well done sequence, I thought. And mm -hmm. it's it's mostly because the CGI gets to hide in the darkness once again for a little bit because yep. You know, Mr. Hyde is, of course, the alter ego of, of Dr. Jekyll, who is the, mm -hmm. in this case, kind of like a gorilla. He's he's a little yeah, bit different than we're used to seeing, mm -hmm. right, historically. Yeah, like I, I kind of equated him to almost like, um, since we've already brought that franchise up in conversation, to Beast from X-Men. Um, mm. And not, and I were, I'm, I'm thinking Beast before he turns all blue and fuzzy. He's got like the, the exaggerated forelimbs and... Um, of course, very muscular, the large feet, um, big, big old yeah. mandible going on right there. And it's just, you know, big burly man and uh, enjoying a cigar as he's basically swinging through the rafters of where he's being hunted. He, he basically looks like Wreck-It Ralph, doesn't he? Really does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, around this time, you also got, no, no, I was thinking... I don't know, I actually slipped into Tom Cruise's um, The Mummy, which also mm. has a Dr. Uh, Dr. Jekyll yes. and Mr. Hyde sort of thing. For I don't know, for some reason, my mind was going into like, yeah, but he was also in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and I don't think he was. There was yeah, no, no, no Hyde he was. there. He was. He was. He was? Okay, he was there, yeah. yeah. yeah I was. wasn't thinking the wrong thing. Look no. at that. I remember no. movies every once in a while. Yeah, yeah and wasn't enough. he much more like hulky? In, in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? He, he was. He, he's much more, like, he, he almost looks cancerous in a way. Like, he's got these big, yeah. massive boils. and like. But, mm -hmm. but this, this one is much more primal. Although, yeah. what, what I thought was interesting about him is that mm -hmm. even though he is just like a, a beast of a human, he still speaks like he would as an intelligent person, as a doctor, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so it was, it was an interesting dynamic introducing him and seeing Van Helsing and him kind of go back mm -hmm. and forth because obviously Van Helsing has already fought him before. Mm -hmm. And so you get a little bit of, of you know, backstory between them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think a little cheeky banter between the two. Um, yeah. As, yeah. They're, as they're, you know, hunter and prey sort of thing and see if the roles can be switched. But yeah, yeah it's, I think it's a great way to introduce the character because it is, I mean, at its heart, this is going to be like some sort of action movie, it, not some sort of, it's an action movie. It's, a, it's a, trying to be a little more than a summer blockbuster, but at its heart, it's an action movie. So you want to show off your hero in an action sequence. And instead of having this slow build to see what they could actually be, and have this more of a like a darker, broody backstory. And we do get a slow reveal to his full backstory as the movie progresses. So they sneak that in, but we need to have some good action right away. And I think this scene does do that very well. And yeah. I mean, as far as like, I don't know, like we just mentioned, like the CGI gets to hide in the dark a little bit here. But as far as the CGI in this movie does go, Hyde's not the worst CGI they did um, <laughs> for this movie. I got to say, like when he was there, he was... He was fine. He was believable for the CGI they used on him. It, it was fine because his form and the way he moved, like we talked about, he's kind of meant to be looking like a gorilla. And since he's kind mm -hmm. of swinging from the beams and all that stuff, like it, 
it, it looks right. It looks the way that it yeah. should. And so I think mm -hmm. that's the part where I, I didn't judge it too much because of that. Yep. Like, it's like, okay, I get what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And really, after having seen this movie many times, Joe, I've seen this film easily 50 times. I'm not even ashamed to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched it many times. What, what really this scene is meant to do it's to show you that Van Helsing is good at what he does mm -hmm. and and he knows it. He knows that he's good at doing things. Now, yes, he gets in trouble sometimes for making messes. Mm -hmm. But really what this scene is meant to do is show how off balance he is from everything else that happens in the rest of the movie. Because he's he's like peak Van Helsing here. You know, he's yeah. he's doing his thing, he's got his leather belts as tight as they can go, and he is <laughs> he's winning the day. And so this is him as he's used to being himself. And I think that's what's really the setup is that nothing else that's going to happen to him mm -hmm. is something he's prepared or ready for. Exactly. Which then leads into the perfect time for us to start diving into the fact that this is a deeper character and we can't just solely have him in his tight leather belts and big <laughs> wavy duster. We need to have a little more to him. Otherwise we just have an eighties action hero in the early 2000s. And yeah. while we weren't completely over the 80s action, we were attempting to move on from it. So, yes. before we mm -hmm. move on from this, I do want to mention uh, Mr. Hyde is voiced by the late, great Robbie Coltrane, uh, Haggard yes. himself. Mm -hmm. And I, I just wanted to mention that because we just lost him within the past week. And so yes. this is one of those performances that I don't think a lot of people knew about because well, for one, it was a movie that wasn't well received, and yep. so mm -hmm. a lot of folks didn't realize that was that was Hagrid underneath that CGI and that voice. But uh, rest in peace, yeah. Mr. Coltrane. You have earned it, sir. You are missed. Yeah, but either way. So, moving on from that scene, it it mm -hmm. does start to really build world quickly. This this movie, it doesn't really take a break, mm -hmm. does it? No, no, it doesn't. Which I I mean is a bit of, I don't want to say a, a product of the time, is that during this time in the 2000s, movies are pretty fast-paced. They want to get you into the story as quickly as possible, and they're not looking to do it through these lofty establishing um, scenes where uh, it's a hint towards something else is coming and we'll figure out eventually as the movie unfolds. It's like, nope, we're going to give you something every time our man's on the film. Or every time her man's on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Which and they do it really well. I mean, we kinda of talked mm -hmm. about this this comparison to James Bond. Mm -hmm. And when he comes back to the Vatican, as you mentioned, he's working for literally the the, the Catholic Church and yes. this militant arm of it that exists apparently. <laughs> I mean, it's more believable than a a loud German woman being the head of the militant arm of the Salvation that's, Army. That's very, but that's, that's at least from a comedy. Yeah. Yeah, but they they do a lot within this sequence, though. I mean, they, they kind of drop this little nugget that Van Helsing works for them because he was crawling up the steps of the Vatican and, and he was dying and they, they took him in and they, you know, healed him and got him back and he lost his memory. Yeah. So they've mm -hmm. been kind of helping him figure things out, but then they slowly realize that this guy's kind of a superhero. Like, he moves yeah. faster than other people. He's stronger there, than other people. There's something about Mr. Van Helsing that's just just odd his and hair. his hair is gorgeous his hair it's, it's yeah. unbelievable like yeah. there's no way and the fact that he's somehow 80 percent muscle that's like <laughs> only sharks are like that and van helsing mm. Mm. yeah good yeah, lord hugh jackman but anyway one one credit to this part of the story is i actually really liked that it was he shows up at the doorstep as an adult having no clue about his own past because it's a much more fun trope than what they could have gone with at the classic, um, oh, he was dropped off at the doorstep as a babe in a basket and we raised him to be the warrior he is today yeah. as something that's just done like, you know, 10 times too many in every movie or story. So yeah. it was a fun way to have some mystery and allure to the character. There's no like, oh, who are my parents? I have to find out. That'll complete me when I find it. Oh no, it turns out my parents are awful and I must be my own person. Oh God, we've never seen that before. So it was nice that he had to figure out his own past from the adult standpoint and that he was only interested in his own past as opposed to where he came from. I can't believe I never thought about this until now, Joe. Mm -hmm. 
what you're trying to say here is that the Vatican leadership that found Van Helsing, they're just good at management. They're like, you know what? I'm looking at this kid that's needing to heal. He's showing some really good attitude here. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go with his strengths. You know, let's let's go give him things we think he can do. Mm-hmm. You know, let's 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 work with the talents that we've got here instead of trying to fit him into something he's not. And it's ridiculous to think we, that <laughs> we have given the Catholic Church so much more credit than they really deserve. Oh, no, 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 fictional, <laughs> fictional. We're not talking fictional about the Catholic real one by yeah. any means. Mm-hmm. This is the fictional. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, great management by the fictional Catholic Church. So yes. instead of just putting this guy in a robe and saying, you are going to be the next priest and we're going to send you off as a missionary, is oh, wait, wait a second. Sometimes shit happens, things go bump in the night, and who are you going to call? It's going to be the Vatican because you, you, always, you apparently always go to the Vatican. So Absolutely. they're going to train this guy to fight monsters. Yeah, which, th- once again, this sequence is actually really kind of funny i I, i've always enjoyed it and once again that that whole angle of him having the latest technology and they're building Mm -hmm. it in the basement of the vatican there's something about that if you even just remove the the religious undertones and all that even Mm -hmm. if it had nothing to do with the church it's just a fun sequence because we get david wenham involved in this part yes you know is faramir Mm -hmm. from lord of the rings Mm -hmm. and and so he's he's basically the the guy in the chair for van helsing right mm-hmm. he's he's developing all this tech and yep and so it's it's a really funny uh dynamic between those two and mm-hmm. you can clearly tell he's never left that area ever no no he he's barely been out of that basement let alone the area so yeah. he, the light of day in him not not good bedfellows but it also is again a fun a fun like acting job for him because we get to see him be this kind of awkward shut-in from yeah. you know the the second son who's always in the shadow of his brother that we got in the Lord of the Rings. So again, seeing him being able to be a different character and not the same thing over again was really fun to watch. Yeah, seeing him be kind of plucky and not mm-hmm. depressed and trying to prove his quality. Totally, mm-hmm. totally different dynamic. And I got to give a call out as well to Alan Armstrong, who plays Cardinal Jeanette in this sequence too. Mm-hmm. You shot at the rose window. I wish a week in purgatory for you for that. <laughs> Be a nice reprieve. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that that whole relationship between the Cardinal and, and Van Helsing is, is also, once again, brilliantly acted. Alan Armstrong, mm-hmm. he's one of these guys that appeared in a lot of these early 2000 movies. Um, and he also was in The Mummy Returns as well. And hmm. I, I just love seeing him in movies during this mm-hmm. time. He, he plays everything he needs to perfectly, <laughs> and I've never mm-hmm. once questioned what he does on screen. Uh, this is another person you are remembering far better than I am. Because, uh, I mean, watched the movie recently, and I, I can picture him as the Cardinal, but I, I'm losing him in The Mummy Returns. Um, oh. In The yeah. Mummy Returns, he has this ridiculous, like, uh, goatee Fu Manchu thing going on. And oh. he's he's the guy that is kind of leading the expedition to find Imhotep for the second time. And then uh, loses yep. his mm-hmm. hand when he has to stick it into the little, uh, you know, yeah. key-turning thing. Yep. So it it's all coming back. I, he's not Winston though. God, I miss Winston, that good man. No, the pilot. <laughs> he's, oh. not, he's not. But <laughs> we, don't wanna, that, we don't want to confuse oh people God, too Winston. much though, because mm-hmm. these movies they they are very close together, and mm-hmm. they are very critically different though. Mm-hmm. And and so from this point, the, the once again, the film does move extremely fast. Like they really build the world quickly. Yeah. And when they get to Dracula and kind of talking about how Dracula has existed. It's all about this like age-old struggle between the Valerius family and then Vladislaus Draculia. And this, the, basically, the Valerius mm-hmm. family can't enter into the afterlife until the vampires are wiped out. And it's like this, this old agreement they made a long time ago with, with the gods and all that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they're just sitting in purgatory waiting for somebody to finally Mm -hmm. score the winning goal. Yep. And, I mean, that's when we enter with our golden boy, Hugh Jackman, who's just the man for the job. Uh, And we also, around this time, I think, get introduced to, I think it's around shortly after he leaves the Vatican is when we get introduced to another really big 
classic universal monster. And that's a werewolf. Because oh, yeah. it turns out there's a deeper thing with werewolves and Dracula in this movie. Yeah, and I've got to say, this is one of those moments where, once again, the movie kind of pulls you mm -hmm. in one direction that you don't want to go and then pulls you into one that you do. Yeah. Frankly, the werewolf stuff, is when, when they introduce the Valerius and they're trying to capture this werewolf, mm -hmm. I thought they did a good job with the CGI here. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. the werewolf at this point in time, he, he's not just some guy that has like a shaved face and then like a, just a really yeah. big goatee mm -hmm. or something, really big beard. Like, like he's an actual, he, like 10 foot tall, vicious, I mean, basically mm -hmm. covered in grease. You're never going to catch him kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I thought that that was actually really well done once mm -hmm. they show what the Valerius family is trying to do and introducing the werewolves at the same time. And yeah. It's a cool mystery at the same time, too, because not only is Dracula tied to the werewolves, but the Valerius family is, too. We just don't know why yet. Mm -hmm. And going back again to, like, the, the stylistic um, choices they made with the werewolves, I, I completely agree. My favorite werewolves are the ones that actually have heads that look like an actual wolf. And like you said, not the, the, like the plain face with a really big sideburns and the and the pointy ears it's Gorilla just mask werewolves is what you're thinking yeah, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. and that's something that worked like kind of okay with wolf with um jack nicholson and that's one of the few times where i actually really liked that look and it worked for that movie but this just looks so much better and when you have that and even even comparing it to like underworld at the time i thought the lichens were lame in underworld because it was that kind of weird halfway between like the long snout and like the shaved face. They, I don't know. You don't half-ass a job. You whole-ass the job. And I feel like they're half-assed in that. The Lycans are half-assed there. Until I think you meet William. I think William's like the really, really old first werewolf in that series. And he's badass and cool. But, um, yeah, back to this. Having that like really big, like hybrid vigor almost, like bigger than a wolf, bigger than a man sort of thing was yeah. just the perfect choice to go for a werewolf in this movie. Yeah, and it's just, it is executed well in the scope of the film, right? Like mm -hmm. the the vampires, we know what they do, but their, their whole depiction, like you mentioned, their jaws disconnect, and it's like, mm -hmm. does the jaw extending really help them bite any better? Bite more? Because like, is that needed? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, are you swallowing heads here? I don't know what yeah. you're doing. But yeah, the werewolves when they're introduced, yeah, they I mean, good lord, they're 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 actually well done. I feel like a lot mm -hmm. of the the CGI budget had to have been spent here because yeah. this is the part of the film that actually more happens in the I don't want to call it daylight because it's like constant overcast and everything's got yeah. a gray tone to it. Mm -hmm. But it's it, it does look a lot better. It looks a lot better than any of the other work so far. And so at, at this stage in the film, once you kind of get involved in that Van Helsing gets dropped right in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And and he's trying to figure out what's true based on what the Vatican was telling him. Because even though this guy's a monster hunter, he still is kind of questioning whether or not this vampire lore is actually true or not. Yeah. Like, don't you find that kind of weird? I mean, it's it's something that's kind of fun, though. Like, there's that whole idea of, like, you can't necessarily trust the information coming from the top. And there's probably something more to just blindly accepting your orders. So I think adding adding that into the story is something that does help for one of the positives of this movie. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it, it really does help you understand Van Helsing's character that much more. You know, like mm -hmm. he's he's sassy with his leadership the entire time. Yeah. Right? Like Medea goes to jail style. <laughs> but he he's good at what he does and so that's mm -hmm. why i think for him it makes the character a little bit easier to get behind because i've seen some other characters like this before in a movie who are just you know they're they're always uh sure about everything they're doing and mm -hmm. it's 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 standard nick cage uh action hero movie yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> basically yep and so so here it, it has a chance to actually be something else and that's why i thought once again this this is a another one of those pieces we can kind of put towards the yes mm -hmm. pile this is yeah this is something that actually goes pretty well here 
And even though the movie does kind of slow down a little bit when he gets to Transylvania, mm-hmm. I don't think it's because it slows down for bad reasons. I think it slows down so that you can truly understand like who the Valerius family is, mm-hmm. introducing the broader world of Dracula. But then the idea of where Van Helsing actually fits in that he doesn't realize. Now, Joe, what did you think about this little twist in the narrative where we find out that Van Helsing's a little bit older than a guy in his mid thirties? I mean, if anyone could pull it off, it's Hugh Jackman. (laughs) It's like, really? Because he starts hinting at some pretty, pretty old things here. Um, gosh, God, what's the first thing that he, because he, he gets like flashes of his memory back and we get, we get little hints and I think it's, it's, uh, it's like the siege of Macedonia, uh, Macedonia, M- no, Masada, Masada. Yeah. the siege of Masada. Um, and that's like 2000 years before <laughs> this is supposed to take place. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, he's looking really good for, for someone who's 2000. It, mm-hmm. it's well here's the, here's the thing when the first time i saw this movie i knew a little bit about the the jewish roman wars mm-hmm. and you know there's several of them okay like this was the first one that he's talking about <laughs> which tells you just how long ago this was and even i just kind of went he mentions he remembers this and i go wait a second it's like yeah the, he, he says roman so immediately i'm just thinking okay Maybe it's mm-hmm. like 200 years for some reason. Cause I was thinking like, you know how we always say that 10 years ago is the nineties. The yeah. I kind of did that same thing with this and I was like, Oh, okay. Well he could be like 200 years old. A few years later that went, Holy shit. No, 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 no. My math is way off. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the fact that he was almost 2000 years old, God, it just, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. one of the, this is one of the few things about this, this movie where I feel like we missed such an opportunity. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's it's almost like the entrance to Wolverine Origins, where he's fighting through all these historical battles, and it's just so badass. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the yeah. movie happens. Yeah, like, yeah, that is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it's like this here. Mm-hmm. You get this, you get this curveball. That it's like, wait a second, Van Helsing is is he immortal? Like, mm-hmm. what, what what is he doing here? Mm-hmm. But but then when he does finally meet up with Dracula for the first time. It's like they're besties. This yeah. dude knows these guys know each other. They they either mm-hmm. either met in college or something, but clearly there's <laughs> yep. there's history here. It, am I am I doing this wrong? Because I thought when they first meet that Dracula remembers Van Helsing a lot more than Van Helsing remembers Dracula. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like Dracula right away, he's like, "Yo, man, that's my homie Gabriel." Yeah. You remember I that whole you. creepy sequence where like he's in this. Mm-hmm long corridor and he's just like Gabriel Gabriel you know and I gotta say this this is a part that I think some people were split on I've read it online I've I've heard it from people before so Richard Roxburgh who is the guy who depicts Dracula mm-hmm. some people thought that he was the worst part of this movie because of stuff like I just mm-hmm. mentioned the whole Gabriel I do want to take a second here to appreciate this man for a moment. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. <laughs> but he, he plays the bad guy in The League of mm-hmm. Extraordinary Gentlemen as well. You remember the, the Phantom? Oh, yes. And mm-hmm. he's like, I think, I think the one thing I always remember him for in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen where he's like, The League of Most Extraordinary Gentlemen. He says it's so <laughs> weird. Mm-hmm. But here, I feel like for him and all of the roles he's been in, because he he was in a lot of these cookie cutter action movies from this period. Yeah, I thought this was one of the few times where he actually delivers a pretty mm-hmm. interesting, like layered, you know, performance. And mm-hmm. what what do you think about him as Dracula here? I think it's just a hard role to do in general because if you look at like the different ways we've done dracula um in even like recent history uh, even like blade three dracula turned to drake because it was cooler to say drake and <laughs> we we take this whole idea that he comes from um i 
think it was like the Middle East. He's Mesopotamian in that, so they change him a little bit. Or we had Drac the 2000, where it turns out he's actually Judas. And we've got all these different versions of trying to do this character. And then, of course, there's fucking Gary Oldman, which, get out of here, Gary Oldman. Amazing. But, um, and they try going for this Transylvanian, like, again, version that we got from Universal, as opposed to these other modern takes. And I think what makes this version so hard is the Transylvanian accent. And that's one of the Mm. biggest things that I think detracts from this movie um, because it is so hard to take that missingly. It is so hard to take it even seriously. I mean, even like Kate Beckinsale, amazing actress, and she has that very, very thick Transylvanian accent, which she's doing a really good job doing, like actually performing, but... I don't know. It's hard for me to take it seriously without having, like, even in the back of my mind, a little tee It's It's <laughs> either from Transylvania. Like, like, yeah, I feel like I'm laughing a little bit whenever they're trying to do something. Like, you just feel like if this guy came up at you, like, even that scene in, like, the corridor, Gabriel, he's doing yeah. that whole thing. I feel like if like someone was doing it behind me, I wouldn't be freaked out. I'd be like, come on, just fucking come out of the dark already. Like, where are you? You yeah. silly guy. Like, that's that's what makes it hard for me is he does that along with that again that that pantomime and that over the that, that over the, the top acting thing. the heartbeat yeah. yep and it's and just if yeah if you're not watching us I'm hitting my mm-hmm. hands together he does this really <laughs> it is kind of an over the top golf clap mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah but yeah so like that's that's where it kills it for me like I feel like if he had the opportunity to play Dracula in some different more like modern for the 2000s way, I think he probably would not have been blasted as much as he was. See, and I'm happy we kind of disagree on this scene because mm-hmm. I thought it, it was creepy, but maybe I'm giving it more credit because of the fact that he drops the bomb that it's like, you took my ring and like mm-hmm. his finger is clearly missing, even though it hadn't been up to that point in the movie, but we're not going to yep. talk about editing gonna, mistakes. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I do want to give Roxborough another kudos here for a second because one of the really poignant scenes for him in this movie is when he's talking to his brides and mm-hmm. I always come back to this because he mentions how he doesn't feel anything and that he's hollow right mm-hmm. and I've been there before okay I had some dark times in my early 20s I get it <laughs> but when he goes to his brides and they're in a state of mourning because one of his brides gets 86 by Van Helsing. It's, yep. it's, it's, in, it's in the trailer. We're not spoiling mm-hmm. it. No, no. <laughs> He's talking to them, and they're, they're showing emotion. They're, like, crying, and they're saying to him, like, do we mean so little to you and all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And then he does this, like, just terrifying scream, and, and he's, like, screaming at them, and it's this just outburst. It's one of the very few outbursts that Dracula has the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at them and they're like cowering. And he says, don't fear me. Everyone else fears me. And he brings them in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it almost kind of feels like a two steps forward, one steps back type of thing. Yeah. Because I thought he does a good job at points as Dracula. Mm-hmm. And that's one of them. That's one of the really good scenes where he's acting but it is inconsistent, as you've kind of pointed out. I'm yeah. willing to admit that. Mm-hmm. But yep. that one was really good. I thought that was a really good scene for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm torn up because again that that whole idea again of like you know we talk about sometimes it's it's good to have the monsters to be have a little heart to them to maybe 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 they're not as bad all bad not as all bad as we should believe. And so that Dracula actually feels something is nice. But again, like one of the things that took me out of almost every scene with Dracula or the brides is usually when they would scream. And it's just because it like, I don't know, like it just, it didn't work for me in this movie. So, and again, maybe it's because like they'd scream and the mouths got really big again. It's like, oh, I don't know what you're trying to do with that. It's not scary. It's not making it more apparent that they're screaming or shrieking. It just didn't work. So 
to me, it was even more so, again, like you said, there's some scenes where, like, he brought you in, he took you out. And this one was where it was really damning and tearing for me. Because, yeah. again, that line, like, don't fear me, everyone else fears me, was a really good line. And the way he delivered the la that line was really good. But the shriek before was just like, ah, ah no. Oh. <laughs> Didn't I, do it for I me. I love how creepy he looks when he does it. Because it's, mm -hmm. it's a CGI-aided thing. Because Dracula obviously can transform into this massive bat-like creature right mm -hmm. and you don't know that of course but you can see he shows a little bit of it there right mm -hmm. so there's more to him than that which we can make an assumption we're action yeah. or horror fans okay mm -hmm. whatever but i thought it was well done for that part but ultimately what the film it really is driven by is this this apocalypse that the valerius family is holding yeah. back mm -hmm. and what was the beginning of the movie for, right? <laughs> like, yes. what was mm -hmm. the point of Frankenstein's monster? What was that all about? Mm -hmm. And so we, we do kind of figure out, okay, there are some keys here to that character because Frankenstein, mm -hmm. he's actually, or Frankenstein's monster is missing from the movie for, geez, what is it, almost like an hour <laughs> up to that yeah. point? I mean, well, the way he, he goes away at the end of the first scene, like you'd assume he didn't make it out. So that's yeah. that's part of the credit to it. But yeah, again, like this is again like where we talk about how like you get hit really fast with story building this movie and then it slows down when it gets to Transylvania. And this is where that fast build now starts to pay off with this apocalyptic war um sort of thing, this apocalypse an oncoming apocalypse. And um it turns out our boy, the monster, was kind of at the center of it all or was meant to be the center of it all. Uh, we won't tell you how. We'll just tell you he's a, <laughs> he's a big part of why, because I think when we usually say we want you to watch these things for yourself because of how much we enjoy them, maybe we want you to watch this one to see where you are on it. <laughs> do you like it as much as we do, but also kind of not like it as much as we do? Um, yeah. We can let you kind of judge that for yourself. And exactly part of what this apocalypse is supposed to be and Frankenstein's part in it is, in my opinion, actually one of the funner parts of this movie. The fact that they tied and brought that character back and made it so that that first scene wasn't just some throwaway um, homage to the vampire and monster movies of old. That, that's what I thought was, once again, this is another one of those positive win column things here. Mm -hmm. They, I thought they actually did a good job of balancing all of the monsters in the movie. Yeah. Right? Because... Because mm -hmm. we're starting off with Frankenstein's monster. We get Mr. Hyde. You know, then we're getting werewolves. Then we got Dracula. You know, Igor's hanging out. You know, he's kind of, <laughs> you know, whatever. Kevin J. O'Connor needs a job, <laughs> and Stephen Summers loves him, so he throws him in there. Yeah, we feel bad for Benny, and we don't also we also don't feel bad for Benny. No. So, feel, mm, no. But, but Frankenstein's monster, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. He's played by Shuler Henley, who is like an opera singer, right? Yep, you can tell. <laughs> you can tell. You can definitely you tell. Can, mm -hmm. You can tell. And, and, and it's it's a very, once again, this is a, a reimagining for a lot of these characters. Mm -hmm. And so Frankenstein's monster, as a, as an opera singer in a way, talking that way, what, what did that do for you? Again, this is where it kind of made it hard for me. <laughs> because... I get like that. I get the idea that the stage and the camera are vastly different, and the monster being this very booming character because of the fact he's played by someone who does opera. Like it's hard for me to really get into that character. Like his overall role for the movie, I think, is a fun, very very fun idea. But again, the execution. I kind of struggle with here because I don't know. Um, he doesn't quite because, because he's prone to like talking like the relatives that you have, that everyone has them where they just don't have an inside voice ever. Yeah. He's neither like the dumb monster that we got in the old movies, nor is he the monster we got in Mary Shelley's book. Who's not, stupid and is very well articulated he is somewhere oddly in between solely because like he can speak eloquently but he just 
has that booming opera performance that just, again, like the screeching of the vampires, kind of takes me out of it whenever he starts really talking and he gets going. Actually, I'm actually really happy we disagree again here mm -hmm. because here's why I think it works. All right. Now, I, I can see you kind of the blood's leaving Joe's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we if we remove the part where he says, mm -hmm. I want to live. If we take that part out of the movie, I think his voice and the way he delivers it kind of works mm -hmm. because he's a manufactured human. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, every day is his first day. He's like a puppy. He's constantly peeing on the floor. You know, he's <laughs> trying to figure out who he is. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense to me that a dude who's only had consciousness for at best six months mm -hmm. might speak and behave in a kind of a disjointed fashion. You know, like, mm -hmm. and, and this wasn't something I thought of the first time I saw this. Don't, yeah. don't, don't think mm -hmm. I'm like doing big brain stuff back in 2004. I wasn't, <laughs> but but that's kind of that's what that's the mm -hmm. logic that I applied to it. Okay, was yeah. that mm -hmm. maybe that's more of what's going on here? But I'm kind of creating stuff to put in the margins. I'm not actually doing what they, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm actually saying what yeah. they, they were intending mm -hmm. to do here. Yeah, so. I I was much more in the the Austin Powers train, where it is sometimes the the effects being frozen is that I seem to be having problems maintaining the volume of my voice. <laughs> I also have no inner monologue. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of where I got stuck with this. Is like, yeah, like if they, I don't know if they kind of played off that whole idea again. Um, yes, he's only been living for like less than a year. Uh, yeah, yeah, that totally makes total sense. But when, and like, I feel like I shouldn't need that explanation because like, everyone fucking knows Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I could have gone with something over like. What were you like? Even like a quick, like something that was like, you know, ripe in this generation of movies, like a quip or something, something small to say that with um, Frankenstein doing something rather uneducated and Van Helsing saying something like, what were you born yesterday? And <laughs> the monster going like, oh, it was actually about six months ago. And like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. No, like something to kind of pull us back in to remind us that like, the monster is, you know, only half baked and he came out of the oven sort of thing. But yeah. I don't know, I guess we we don't get that. So I, I kind of either I either want Mary Shelley's monster or I want the universal monster and I'm stuck with something in between. And I just See, I, I can't get over that. And I'm gonna disagree with you here. This is the, mm -hmm. the scenario where I think Smart Hulk actually worked. <laughs> as, <laughs> mm -hmm. as opposed to just saying these are strange times. Mm -hmm. And and so either way. I'm happy we got through that because obviously the point for you f folks is to watch the movie and see what you think for yourselves if you haven't yeah. seen it. I mean, mm -hmm. this this is one of those films that kind of got buried because of the failure of the box office. Mm -hmm. But Joe, you and I still like this movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> like, again, like as much as like we complain or I complain about the CGI and a bit of the the pantomime of a few of the monsters in this movie... Again, like Kate Beckinsale does an amazing job in this movie. Um, Hugh Jackman does an amazing job. Um, and there is just enough of other things that made movies of this time great that are in this movie. And so if you found yourself liking comedies of this time, you liked the action movies of this time, there's going to be a lot that you're going to like of this movie. So I'm not going to sit here and sell you on that the whole thing was bad because... Like the mouths got too big, and uh, the monster is on the verge of of a song every every other time you see him talk. Uh, so yeah, yeah, this is definitely worth checking out. I would say just like our sex lives, Joe, we're only a few elements away from being great, and that's what this movie <laughs> is kind of doing. Okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's it's really close to being mm -hmm. a a really well put together film. That I, once again, if I if it was transplanted mm -hmm. a few years into the future, I think it would have done a lot better. Yeah. And granted, Jackman would have had much more clout at that stage too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and Summers shouldn't feel bad about it. After all, this happens to a lot of movies, from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So here's here's a, th a parting thought I wanted to kind of have with this. And, mm -hmm. and why can't these traditional horror icons 
find modern audiences because this is not the first time this has happened mm -hmm. right no we, we've we've seen horror icons come up in tv shows and mm -hmm. and tv shows seem to be fine but in film they just can't seem to get it right and no. we already had the dark universe they tried to start that flopped mm -hmm. horribly yeah so what are your thoughts on that i think it's because you have universal behind it and i think they just don't want to let go of what they were and what made them great in uh cuz god these came these, these movies came out in what the 40s and 50s oh yeah so last time ago they want to try and hold on to what made them good then without trying to make them bold or modern and then other times like they kind of want them to go too bold and too modern and it's like they they're in this weird step of we want you to be traditional but we also want you to be something new and they don't know how to keep that balance without being shackled by the tradition or just plunging headfirst into the new and i think that's where like this movie gets stuck because it doesn't like know like the traditional part like all the homages seemed over the top with trying to go with tradition and where the like the mummy with um um i want to say brendan fraser but it's tom cruise and that one tried being too bold and too modern and i don't know again if it was because they chose tom cruise and when you get tom cruise you're getting a tom cruise movie oh, yeah. um so which even then is is almost mean to say because like what was it um um god what was the movie he was in with his with emily, emily blunt where he kept reliving like the same day over and over again. Yeah. Every I time he remember. died, he it, it's killing me that I don't remember because that was a really good movie. Fucking love that movie and I can't remember the name of it. And, but anyway. It too. That's the hardest part. They did, yeah. They ch <laughs> fucking changed it, it. Oh, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge, Edge of Tomorrow. Tomorrow. There we go. Yes, Edge of Tomorrow is fucking great. But I think that's the biggest thing is that they're just torn between do we do something traditional, do we do something modern, or do we try to do something in the middle? And it just seems like every time they try to do something in the middle or modern, like, it just flops. And I, I don't think it's because, like, the monsters themselves are impossible to tackle. It's, I think it's just their way of doing business. It doesn't seem to work. So I think what the true problem here is that a lot of the best horror movies that came out of even this era... Or rated R. Yeah. You know, 28 days later, people are looking back to that movie even now, even though mm -hmm. technically the cinematography isn't the greatest. It's yeah. it's a lot grainier of a film. There's mm -hmm. far less HD elements to it. But that movie was a hell of a lot better because it wasn't held back by the PG-13 standards. Very true. So that's kind of where my head's at with it is that if Van Helsing was a rated R movie, I, I really do think mm -hmm. it would have won more hearts over. Because you, you can't really show a whole lot of blood, mm -hmm. right? I mean, people are getting bolts shot through them in parts of the movie, and it's there's nothing there, yeah. right? It's, mm -hmm. And so to me, I feel like nowadays, especially, horror fans are expecting to see something very specific when they go to see a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And trust me, it's not campiness. Well, no. potentially, Maybe. potentially campiness. Mm -hmm. But but most of the time, you're looking mm -hmm. to be legitimately scared. And you're looking for very, very dark subject matter. And so I think that's really what happened here, was that mm -hmm. Van Helsing suffers a little bit from CGI miscues, but it suffers from not being able to do what a lot of horror can do with yeah. that rating. Yep, and I wonder if he's even like with this. One of its struggles, at least with with this movie in particular, is that it's not scary, and you have horror movie monsters as the forefront of it, as as their as your antagonists and one one or two protagonists. Uh, because even looking at like classic thing, like uh, classic horror movies, like the, the original Halloween, the one that you know is kind of campy for its time, but at the same time. It was a fucking hit, and it's a good horror movie, and you don't really see blood in that movie. They, I think they do the whole thing with the idea that it doesn't, like, a horror movie didn't have to be gory to be good and to be creepy. 
so when you don't when you're not afraid of the monsters like at no point do i think you're really terrified of dracula in this movie there are a few like lines where you can do something that maybe gets a little shiver in there but at no point in this movie was i ever afraid that van helsing wasn't going to win uh and i think that's also what kind of hurts this particular movie but i guess getting back to getting back to again like why these monsters don't have a foothold and they don't work I think, yeah, I think I do agree with you there that having something rated R that can actually allow the monsters to be terrifying and do what they're supposed to do, when you take that away from them, it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I Mm -hmm. I agree with you overall with that assessment of this movie. Now, (laughs) what what I want to leave folks with, because Joe and I clearly are fans of this movie, right? (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's an imperfect movie. Trust me, it is. But it is. I think it is the right combination of things that I can accept when I sit down and when I want to watch something during mm-hmm. this time of year, the Halloween season. Yes. You've got a good amount of camp that's in there. Mm-hmm. You've got a good amount of modern stuff, too, though. And then you have some familiarity introduced with the classic monsters and some of the lore that's typically attached to them. But then they're tweaked a little bit too. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the same thing. So I thought doing all of that together, it, it does make for an entertaining movie, but not one that the Academy is going to recognize for any reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the legacy of of Van Helsing in a nutshell. <laughs> I I think so. And I think this is the perfect part for us to thank all of you for listening listening to yet another episode of Digital Dissection. And as always, we really appreciate all that the Dissection crew does for us on a week and week out basis here. So your support goes a long way. And if you happened upon the show by accident, why not drop us a review or a comment on the show? We also really like hearing from all of you. So feel free to message us at digitaldissection at gmail.com. Where we welcome your ideas. Digital Dissection Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, we got thank dinged you. on that big time one, one week. <laughs> oh, no. Did we, we sent people to the wrong place, and I don't know. Oh, no. It's like going to the wrong address. Oh. And there's some creepy guy there. Oh, you got into some weird medical podcast, didn't you? I'm really sorry. Go to Digital Dissection Podcast at gmail.com, where we welcome your ideas for future shows and criticisms for sending you to the wrong address first before you got here. So give us that as long as anything else you'd like to discuss. And until next time, keep on dissecting.